Hey everybody, welcome to the wonderful Washington Hour Home Podcast. That's not the official title, I just haven't come up with anything better just yet. But I've been meaning to get this podcast out the door for quite a long time, and I just need to buckle down and do it. So, here it is. You're going to get the experimental first version, and I promise it will get better from here. My name is Eric Ebel. I am a native son of Washington State. I have had a fascination with the heritage, history, and culture of Washington State since the day I was born. Uh, Fortunately, my parents uh, would take me all over the state when I was younger, telling me about the different things that make Washington great. Uh, It really instilled in me a passion for the state of Washington, so I certainly consider this the greatest state in the lower 48. And yes, I'm going to trademark that phrase. And no, I don't mean to imply that Alaska is any better, it's just a nice rhyme and I like it. So that's my slogan, I'm sticking to it, and we're going to talk today about a trip I just got back from in Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, I just got back from a trip to Walla Walla. Now, anybody who's been to Walla Walla, Washington knows that it's in the middle of agriculture country, wine country. There's rolling hills. There's no mountains, not a lot of tall trees. Uh, It it gets windy on the plain. But one of the beautiful things about Walla Walla is its downtown center. Now, the downtown core used to be like any other downtown core in Washington State. You go to downtown Ritzville, for example, and it's, you're going to find lots of different hardware stores. You're going to find general stores. Uh, you're going to find antique stores and the other kinds of things you would expect to find in small town Washington. Not that that's bad, but Walla Walla has found itself in the middle of of a renaissance thanks to the discovery of wine-growing soil, great soil to grow wine grapes, and that has boosted their industry immeasurably. They now have wineries dotting the landscape uh, all over the city. There's a wine and dine tour. There's all kinds of different things you can do uh, to enjoy the local viticultural access that Walla Walla offers. So, Unfortunately, I was not there to (laughs) sample the Walla Walla offerings. Uh, I was there on business, so I didn't get a chance to go to any wineries or anything like that. But one of the special things I did get to do while I was in Walla Walla was stay at the Marcus Whitman Hotel. Now, if you've never stayed at the Marcus Whitman Hotel or never even heard of it, uh, I hadn't either, honestly, and I've lived in Washington State my entire life. Walla Walla has taken what used to be an agriculture-based economy and twisted it so that that agriculture-based economy is now a tourist economy as well. And I think if you talk to anyone who is a Walla Walla native, they will tell you that the population of Walla Walla has stayed pretty much the same over the past 20 years. It's just that everything is three times more expensive now. And the reason is, is because they have figured out a way to start bringing in the tourists and the tourists want to spend the money and the Locals are jacking up prices, and that's just how the economy works. Uh, So there's nothing against that, but they have successfully turned what used to be a sleepy downtown core with a couple of colleges on the outskirts of town and an airport into a really vibrant local scene that has restaurants and wineries and bars and local establishments and and eateries and delis and bakeries and it's really nice place to visit now so 
While I was there, I got to stay at the Marcus Whitman Hotel. It's a historic hotel. You can't miss it. It is the tallest building for probably 100 miles. Uh, it's, it's not even that tall. I think it's like 12 or 14 stories. Uh, but it is historic, and it's a beautiful, classy place to go. Uh, really, really upscale in Walla Walla. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Visitors to Eastern Washington will often find themselves drawn to that area for the rich viticultural tasting opportunities in Walla Walla wine country. There's, like I said, dozens of wineries, tasting rooms, wine bars. They are scattered all over the downtown area in Walla Walla. The best place to stay in Walla Walla by far, Marcus Whitman Hotel. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the history of the Marcus Whitman Hotel. Well, let me first tell you who Marcus Whitman was. Marcus Whitman and his wife, Narcissa Whitman, came to Washington State from the East Coast in the 1830s. They were pioneers. They were one of the first people across the Oregon Trail. Remember, Oregon Trail travel got big in the mid to late 1840s. So in 1830s, for someone to come across the Oregon Trail, they were literally blazing a new trail. So Marcus and Narcissa Whitman are two, I think, Presbyterian ministers. Well, he's a Presbyterian minister and a doctor. And he and his wife get the idea that they need to come out west and help out the native tribes that are here in Washington State. So they packed up all their belongings, stack of Bibles and a supply of medical equipment, and they headed west over the Oregon Trail and finally settled around Walla Walla. They built themselves a nice little mission where they taught the local Native American population about Christianity and helped them with uh, their medical needs, established new relationships between uh, white Americans and the Native Americans uh, on the west side of the country. However, with the influx of the white population uh, also came an influx of new diseases, and that wreaked havoc among the local Cayuse tribe. The Cayuse started suffering from measles and uh, all kinds of other diseases that, that literally wiped out their population to the point where they got so frustrated, they started to blame Dr. Whitman for what had been happening to their people. So one day in 1847, uh, a local band of Cayuse um, surrounded the mission and attacked it and ended up slaughtering 11 people, including Marcus and Narcissa Whitman. That incident in 1847 is known as the Whitman Massacre, after Marcus and Narcissa were slaughtered. The locals in town refused to let them fall into oblivion. So as the little town of Walla Walla began to blossom, the Whitman name was used for things like businesses and recreational sites and schools and all kinds of things throughout the valley. Street names. Naturally, when a luxury hotel was planned in 1927, it was named for Marcus Whitman. So 1927 is when they build this building. The finest hotel for hundreds of miles, the Marcus Whitman drew presidents, celebrities, dignitaries with its elegant rooms, its friendly service, and the famous restaurant. Now, I got a chance to eat at that restaurant, and it was very good. It was very good. By far, a fantastic restaurant for Walla Walla standards. 
A major renovation at the turn of the 21st century touched up the classic style, added up-to-the-minute technology throughout the halls. So today, this hotel in the heart of Walla Walla's historic district continues to celebrate the past while looking far into the future as well. Now, when I checked out, there was a photo, a black-and-white photo, framed on the wall behind the front desk, and it took me a couple of seconds to realize it, but it's a photo of President Eisenhower. President Eisenhower had visited the hotel while he was on a tour throughout this area inspecting dams that had been built. Uh, So he also stayed there. One thing I have in common with President Eisenhower, I guess. So back to my stay and my description. One of the things that I thought was the most interesting about it, not only was the fact that it was the tallest building around, but it was extremely well lit. Now, I arrived about 9 o'clock at night in Walla Walla, so I didn't get to really appreciate the rolling green hills that surround the area uh, in Walla Walla County. But when we did come into town finally, one of the first things I noticed about the building was how well illuminated it was. Uh, Somebody took the time to really do that strategically, to make that building look impressive and subtle and beautiful, uh, and they did a good job. In addition to that, the landscaping around the area is also very well manicured. So from the outside, you're looking at a historic old brick-clad building uh, with many different angles. It's not just a big box building. It's it's uh, it, it looks like, honestly, several boxes all stacked up together, uh, much like the Sears Tower. You look at the Sears Tower, and it looks like uh, rectangles and squares and, and towers and boxes, uh, all very angular, but uh, but also very impressive. Same thing with the Marcus Whitman Hotel on a much smaller scale. So walking into the lobby, one of the first things you'll hear is classic music. Not classical music, but classic music. And it sounds like the score of a 1930s film. It's beautiful, it creates ambiance, and you really start to subtly feel like you're tossed back into the 1930s. It's a really amazing experience that doesn't try to be in your face about it. So walking through the lobby, you're immediately impressed by this grand lobby that has brass accoutrement everywhere. It's it's the tradition of grand hotels from that time. The historic elevators are clad in brass. Their furniture has brass highlights and brass rivets in it. Their signs for the elevator or the stairs or the restrooms all in brass. Uh, that is a really nice touch on this hotel and any hotel that wants to be uh, sort of a historic tourist attraction. Now, perhaps the most interesting historical aspect is behind the check-in counter. It features an old-fashioned bank of mail slots, which are still in use by the hotel staff. Now, you've probably seen these in hotels before, or maybe you've stayed at other historic hotels before. Many of those hotels have since ripped out those historic old mail slots and replaced them with more counter space so that they can put printers and fax machines and all kinds of other computer equipment on. Not Marcus Whitman. They still use their mail slots uh, to keep the keys to their rooms as well as receipts, as well as uh, mail that comes in for long-term guests, packages, messages, things like that. Uh, It's a really nice touch, in my opinion, uh, that sort of harkens back to the days when the hotel was at its finest. As I was saying, the lobby of the Marcus Whitman Hotel is lavishly decorated with period-style furniture featuring overstuffed and oversized armchairs everywhere, a grand piano stained in this rich walnut color. You know how a lot of times you'll be in a restaurant or like a, like a symphony where you see the grand piano, but it's black. It's just lacquered black, uh, glossy, uh, not this grand piano. This grand piano looks like someone sanded it down 
and put a nice coat of deep, dark walnut oil into the grand piano. It is a beautiful piano, and I didn't get a chance to hear anyone play it, but uh, I hope someday when I return that I do. It also has in the lobby a large, elaborate rug. It tastefully blends into the hardwood floors. The hardwood floors are beautiful, of course, but a lot of times what you'll find is that when you put rugs on top of a hardwood floor, somebody tries to go overboard with the elegance of the rug, and so they'll put a nice oriental rug or or some kind of Turkish or Ottoman rug, and a lot of times that can end up looking out of place. Uh, the rug distracts from the rest of the decor in the in the in the structure. Not here. The rug is big. It's beautiful, uh, and it's subtle. Also in the lobby, uh, just before you get to the lobby, actually, you're going to find a brightly lit parlor area. Now, a parlor is something that they don't have in buildings anymore, uh, but back around the turn of the century and prior to that, um, the more opulent places would have a parlor where the entertaining would take place before you uh, receded deeper into the house for uh, a meal or or, um, a different type of entertainment. So the parlor out front was always very well lit. It was meant to encourage socialization. And uh, the parlor at the Marcus Whitman is no different. It's it's, uh, very brightly lit, but not overpowering. Uh, There is a roaring fire in the back, uh, wing-back chairs surrounding it, Victorian-style couches. There are Oriental vases, large Oriental vases, flanking each side of the of the entryway between the parlor and the grand hall. Really well done transition from the entryway to the parlor and then finally into the grand hall. It's immediately clear when you walk into the hotel that the owners are trying to provide to you an oasis of luxury to the people who have been on the road for a long time or have had a long flight into Walla Walla. Oftentimes, their tourists are coming up from California. They're used to California wine country. They want to try something new, so they decide to fly up to Walla Walla. So after several hours of flying out of California, which I imagine can't be the most relaxing experience in the world... Coming into this hotel will immediately lift all of that off your shoulders. Now, upon checking into the room, you'll probably find that the rich decor of the main area only slightly continues into the floors above. Uh, That's not to say that they did a poor job of keeping the older historic theme throughout the rooms. They did, uh, but it is very much more of a contemporary feel with some slight features that suggest history. It's a large room, and there are obviously television and refrigerator and and the kinds of things you would expect in a hotel room. The sheets are clean, the bed is beautiful, lots of pillows. There's a one of those foot tables at the base of the of the bed. I don't know what those are called, but it's a nice touch. Um Bathrooms are kind of small. Bathrooms are kind of small. I don't know if that's because, you know, the hotel was renovated in the early part of this century. uh, And so it's been almost 20 years already. And maybe that was the style back then. But I know that a lot of hotels nowadays, you'll go into the bathrooms. If it's been recently built, then the bathrooms are going to be large. You're going to have large bathrooms. So that's one place where I think that they could improve if they were looking to make a major change to the hotel, is knock out a wall and expand that bathroom and maybe reduce the size of the living area in the hotel rooms by just a little bit. Now, there's a very good chance 
that the room that I was in was the more pedestrian of their rooms. I imagine that the higher up you go in the Marcus Whitman Hotel, the better your view, and most likely the better your room quality as well. So for all I know, you get higher up, maybe there are larger bathrooms, maybe there are spa suites or presidential suites or those kinds of things. I mean, Eisenhower stayed there. I'm sure he didn't stay in a room like mine. Anyway, let's talk about the food. One of the things that they have that I really appreciate is a complimentary breakfast. Now, I know what you're thinking. Every hotel you go to should have a complimentary breakfast. But I also know that we've all been to those complimentary breakfasts, and maybe 60 to 70% of the time, you walk out of there thinking, well, now I got to get another breakfast, because that certainly wasn't enough. I, I need more than a bagel and cream cheese for breakfast, or I need more than a bowl of Captain Crunch. Even the times when you stay at the places that give you a free waffle or something like that, this place tops everything else you could possibly think of, and it comes with the cost of the room. That's the best part. The first morning I stayed there, we had eggs with cheese and potatoes that were cooked with uh, red peppers and onions and spices and things like that. There were sausage links and bacon, and, you know, I, I can't really explain it, but the, I've had those same exact food items at a dozen different hotels, and none of them were as good a quality as I got at the Marcus Whitman Hotel. And in addition, they've got a restaurant area, not just a lobby with tables uh, where they expect you to eat your breakfast, but an actual restaurant area where you can sit down, find a, a nice quiet corner, uh, eat your breakfast, read the paper, and uh, get that experience of, of waking up as if it was the 1930s. And, and you have this, this wait staff that's friendly, and they, they wait on you hand and foot, uh, bringing you beverages, and it's, it's really a great place to have breakfast. I think that about wraps up my description of the Marcus Whitman Hotel. I will never stay anywhere else but the Marcus Whitman Hotel when I'm in Walla Walla. So I highly recommend it. It's a great place to stay, to eat. You'll feel good about it. It's clean. It's safe. It's in a good neighborhood. Uh, it's extremely close to all of the reasons why you're coming to Walla Walla in the first place. Take your time to explore the area. Really look at the history of the building. Talk to some of the people who work there and ask them to tell you some of the stories. It's a fascinating experience staying at the Marcus Whitman Hotel. I highly recommend it. Now, there are three other things that I want to see in Walla Walla that I didn't get a chance to see on this trip. And one of those is called Frenchtown. I know nothing about it. Perhaps it was fur traders, uh, but there is a sign on the way into town from the Tri-Cities that says Historic Frenchtown, uh, and I intend to check that out the next time I'm in town. Another thing that I want to check out is Fort Walla Walla. United States Army Fort was established in 1856 by none other than Lieutenant Colonel Edward Steptoe of the 9th Infantry Regiment. Now you're asking yourself... How do I know that name? It sounds so familiar. Well, the reason it sounds familiar is because Steptoe Butte up north is named after him. That's the story where he and 200 and some odd men uh, had to retreat in the face of a thousand Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, and Palouse Indians. Steptoe Butte is the highest point in that area of Washington State. It's interesting because the geologic features that created it are now called steptoes. So 
in geological terms, if you were to find a similar mass of land in Denmark, it's going to be called a steptoe after Lieutenant Colonel Edward Steptoe, who fought the battle on Steptoe Butte in the 1800s here in Washington State. So back to Fort Walla Walla. Back in the mid-1800s, there were a number of key military outposts in Washington State, one of which being Fort Walla Walla, another of which being Fort Stillicum, and there was a road called Natchez Pass Road between Fort Walla Walla and Fort Stillicum that was heavily used by the military. Oftentimes, you'll come through a city and you'll find something called Military Road, and when you find those things, generally, it's because that road was used by military in the 1800s to move troops and goods and things back and forth uh, with some relative amount of safety. Uh, They knew that they weren't going to be treading into areas that were unfamiliar. There was also a road from Walla Walla to Fort Colville. So the Colville military road was built along the long-established native trail and fur trader route between Walla Walla and Kettle Falls. If you were to look at a military map of the mid-1800s, you would probably find that Walla Walla is the Rome of Washington State. All the roads lead to Walla Walla. It was the jumping-off point for the rest of the state and then again for the rest of the country. The last place that I have to see in Walla Walla the next time I'm there is the Whitman Mission and Massacre Site. It is a National Historic Site just west of Walla Walla, at the site of the former Whitman Mission, where Dr. Marcus Whitman and his wife Narcissa and nine other people were massacred by Cayuse Indians in 1847. The site commemorates the Whitmans, their role in establishing the Oregon Trail, and the challenges that are encountered when two cultures clash. You may or may not know this, but I wrote a book called Winter at Truckee Lake, It's a book about the Donner Reed Party and their expedition westward through the Sierra Nevada mountains that ended in uh, cannibalism. It is a story about nine-year-old Nancy Graves, who was a real person, who was a real member of the Donner Reed Party and a member of the Graves family, who traveled from Sparland, Illinois, all the way to California. Now, the book that I wrote is sort of in the model of a choose-your-own-adventure style where there are a number of different potential endings. There's one historically accurate ending, and then there's a number of endings that the reader gets to decide if he or she wants to change the course of history. What would happen if different decisions were made or different things happened along the course of the events that take place in the book that lead the reader down a different path? It's a historical fiction book. Uh, You can get it at zoozle.com. It's called Winter at Truckee Lake. And I think it's like three bucks. It's an e-book for now. They're going to develop it into um, an actual paperback at some point. But I highly encourage anyone to read it. And not just because it will put a couple of coins in my pocket. I really had a good time researching this book and, and writing it. And one of the things I was able to do was weave in an alternate storyline that took the Donna Reed party instead of into California, but up north into Walla Walla. And so you find yourself, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but at some point you find yourself uh, as the main character at Fort Walla Walla, uh, waiting out the winter before uh, moving along to probably the Willamette Valley or or some other place uh, just west of there. But you're faced with a choice. Your mom wants to go and take 
some supplies to the Whitmans down at the mission. Uh, and you have to decide whether or not you want to go along with her or not. Now, this is 1847. And I think we talked earlier about what happened to the Whitmans in 1847. So that's as far as I'm going to tell you. But it's a really fascinating story. And I would love to be able to see the site in person and really absorb what happened there to the Whitmans and to the Native Americans. I'm the kind of person that likes to stand in a spot where something historically significant happened and sort of close my eyes and think about it and try to feel the moment, try to feel what the Whitmans were thinking when suddenly there was a band of Indians descending on their home, or feel what the Native Americans must have felt like having been so exasperated by watching more and more of their children die that they reach this conclusion that the white people have to be exterminated or this will never stop. It's something that I think everybody should try to do uh, to really appreciate the kind of uh, history that we have here in Washington State. So with that said, I'm going to wrap this podcast up. Uh, I hope everyone had a good time. I am going to be doing these periodically, and I highly encourage everyone to go visit my blog, WashingtonOurHome.com. That's W-A-S-H-I-N-G-T-O-N-O-U-R-H-O-M-E, WashingtonOurHome.com. On that blog page, you're going to find all kinds of Washington State history, heritage, culture stories. Uh, You're going to learn something new, I guarantee it. Hopefully you'll be entertained. And uh, please, by all means, uh, like the page, uh, visit my social media channels, uh, and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the places that I am. Check out my videos on YouTube, and I promise I'll have more for you next time. Thanks a lot.